Hello, this is Audrey Mack. The Word of God says in 3 John 2, I wish above all things that you may prosper, be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So I pray that this message be a blessing to you. Go deep into your heart to work divine transformation, both in you and through you. So get ready, open your heart, and be blessed. We've been talking about faith. First, what faith is. We discovered the first class that faith is be, being completely persuaded of something you cannot see or feel, but you know that you know that you know that it is real and that it is true. And we saw that that's what Jesus is asking of us, to believe thanks and the promises of God, even though we might not see them or feel anything. Amen. And then we saw that faith is like a spiritual muscle. It will, it, it's not little faith or great faith that we have, but it's strong faith or weak faith. And how do we develop strong faith? By putting our faith to work. Amen. By exercising it. And, and the, the problem is these days, everything we just, uh, um, we just live on a natural platform, on a natural level, and we never put a, a, a pressure on our faith. We never put it to work, and we need to do that. And we need to start believing God for little things, and then so believing then we get stronger faith to believe for greater things. Amen. Let me say something. I'll just add a little parenthesis. You know what Jesus said? The lowest level of exercising our faith. Anybody has any idea? It's about finances. Jesus says that if you can, you know the parable of the unjust steward? He said that if we can be faithful for the least, and what was the least in context was money. And you see, if you cannot exercise your faith to pay tithe and give, you're not, your faith is not, you, you're not going to be able to the next level to believe God for other things. Right. Amen. Why? Because finances is something that we can see and touch and that we can, we can see how God can bless you and how God can, uh, 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 your faith can be active. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Don't look at me like that. And keep your stone, keep them under the chair. Hallelujah. But it's true. You know, I can tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to meddle a little bit. I can tell you somebody, sometimes people come to me and they'll say, you know, their life is falling apart, you know, and if I ask them, I said, are you a giver? Are you a tither? And most of the time, they're not. I would say 99% of the time they're not. Because you see, if you don't learn to exercise and put your faith to work by trusting God in in what you can see, you will not be able to trust God for other things. Let me close the parenthesis before you stone me and throw me out. Throw me out. Amen. Hallelujah. So we, we find out that we need to exercise our faith and put it to work. Amen. And so we saw that what Jesus told us last week, he said that faith, we have to believe, faith is believing something you cannot see and feel. But in order then to exercise our faith, and we've got to learn to receive what you cannot see and feel. Amen. And so tonight I want to talk to you about why is your faith not working at times? Why is it that sometimes your faith doesn't seem to work or to produce the result that you are wanting? 
Amen? That's a valid question, isn't it? Well, I found that, that most of the time, if somebody's faith doesn't work, people will be quick to say, well, it must not have been the will of God. And most of the time, these are people that believe in what I call the total sovereignty of God. What do I mean by that? That if it is the will of God, it's going to happen. And if it's not happening, happening, it's become somewhere, somehow it might not be the will of God. God is not allowing it to happen or God do- doesn't want it to happen. Well, let me say something to, about that. Uh, uh, God's sovereignty. You see, uh, God's sovereignty. Where is this sovereignty? The Bible says that God is the word made flesh. And the sovereignty of God is in his word. Psalm 138 verse 2 says that God has magnified his word above his name. You see, if God could do anything he wanted, he'd get everybody saved, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Bible says that he doesn't wish that any, not one perish, but all come to everlasting life. That's the will of God. But yet, is the will of God, is God doing it? No, not everybody is getting saved. If God could do anything he wanted, he'd have all the Christians pay their tithe. Mm-hmm. It's silent in this Catholic church tonight. <laughs> Amen. But you see that God is sovereign, but he's limited his sovereignty to his word. And he will never break his word. And he will not, never uh, break or go beyond your will yeah. and your choice. Amen. So we find out that's why Jesus said that, yes, nothing is impossible with God, but it's according to your, to your faith. And to, amen. Hallelujah. So we find out in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. You see, it's not automatically because it's the will of God, it will automatically come to pass. We, we know and we found, found that, that your faith has to be involved. It's not just because God is sovereign. God will work through His Word and He will work through your faith. Amen? And so we found that. What is faith? Faith is being able to believe and receive something you cannot see. Amen? Mark eleven twenty four said, Jesus says, when you pray, you must believe that you received it, Pastor, that you received it and you shall have it. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's what I said last time. Your faith is your positive response to the grace of God, to what God has done. By his grace, God gave all things, right? And not by faith, what do you have to do? Receive it. That's what faith is. But why is it that some people's faith doesn't seem to bring victory? Why is it that some people's faith don't seem to produce any result? Amen. We see if you turn with me to Matthew 17. And we're going to dig right up. We're going to go in it right away. Matthew 17. We find here an example of... Um, people that wanted to exercise their faith and their faith didn't work. And so we're going to look at at it and see why is it, why uh, their faith didn't work. Matthew 17. Hallelujah. Verse 14 through 
21. Everybody's doing good? Hallelujah. So when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him. Now let me back up. You remember Jesus was with Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Jesus was glorified. And then they, they all four came down, down the mountain. Now this is what's happening. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls, in, falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless, or oh, in my margin there is a little side note, and it says, Oh, unbelieving. If you have a little side note in the center, it says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you, and how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now we see here that the disciples try to cast a demon out of a little boy and to heal him and they could not. They could not heal that little boy. Amen. Now, most people they will automatically say, well, because they didn't have any faith. Or they didn't have enough faith. But I want to back up a little bit and make you realize that the disciple had just got back from the mission field where we find out in Luke chapter 9 verse 1, Jesus had sent them two by two to go and preach, to heal the sick, to cast out all demons. Let's go together. Keep your finger in Matthew 17. We find out that that same story is in Mark chapter 9. Amen. It's in Luke chapter, uh, um, uh, Matthew 17. And it's also in, um, Mark chapter, um, Luke chapter, chapter 9. So let's see in Matthew, we went Matthew 17. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 9, we find out Verse 1, he called his disciples together and gave them power and authority over how many? All. All demons and to cure diseases. Now, if you look in Luke chapter 9, if you go a little further back in verse 37, now you find that little episode with that epileptic boy. Now, if you know anything about the, the, the gospel of Luke, it's the only gospel that is chronological. The doctor Luke, Luke kept everything in order and chronological. So here we find that, that in Luke 9.37, the disciple were trying to cast a demon out of a little boy. 
But we found out that in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, they had just went to the mission to heal the sick, to cast all the demons. And you remember, they came back from the mission totally excited. Jesus, Jesus, all the demons are subject to your name. And what did Jesus say? Rejoice not that demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. So let me ask you this question. If the disciples had gone out two by two to heal the sick, to cast demons, and they got back totally amazed, all the demons are subject. Don't you think they came back totally pumped up and full of faith? You remember the first time maybe God did a miracle through you? How did you feel? Give me the dead. I'm going to raise the dead. You know what I mean? When you see God uh, 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 do a miracle through you, your faith gets totally pumped up and totally energized, right? Yeah. So now I'm trying to paint a picture here. The disciples had just got back from the mission. They had cast out demons, all demons, all healed the sick, and now they come back. Jesus, Peter, James, and John are on top of the mountain. That father brings them that little boy who is demon-possessed, who had a spirit of epilept, an epileptic spirit, and they can't cast the demon out of it. Is it because they didn't have any faith? They had, you understand, they had faith. They had just cast demon, healed the sick. Amen. And so we see that the, the, the disciples had faith. Amen. They believe it was the will of God to heal and to cast out all demons. But they asked Jesus a little. You remember what Je they said? Jesus, why couldn't we cast the demon? They were amazed. They had a question. Apparently until then, they, had cast, they, they were casting out all the demons. Didn't find a problem before. But now they said, why couldn't we cast that demon? And Jesus, what did he say? Because of your unbelief. Now, let me add something first. Looking at Jesus' reaction, most preachers today, what would they say? Well, guys, that's okay. You'll do better next time. It's okay if you didn't heal. No. Did you notice Jesus got angry? Why? Because Jesus' will is to heal yeah. all the sick. We can see Jesus' attitude with sickness right there. Right? Right. Hallelujah. But he says... Because of your unbelief. So now we, Jesus said you could not cast the demon. You couldn't heal that little boy because of your unbelief. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is unbelief? You see, most people will come. And some translation have even translated because of your little faith. The nearly inspired version. Amen. That was a joke. Uh, 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 we find out he said because of your little faith or other people says well you know because unbelief is little faith now I can refute that theory and that, that train of thoughts why because in Matthew 17 you remember what Jesus said if you have faith as that's right sister as a grain of mustard you can speak to the mountain or speak to the mulberry tree and command it to be removed and do not doubt in your heart. Amen. And it shall obey you. So we find Jesus says, if you have faith as little as a mustard seed, he said nothing will be impossible. So we see it's not little unbelief is not little faith because Jesus says, if you have a little faith, it's enough 
to accomplish the impossible. So what is unbelief? Other people will say, well, unbelief is a lack of faith, no faith at all. I'm going to show you it's not true. Go with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 24. In Mark chapter 9, that same story through the eyes of Mark, in Mark 9, 24, we find that here, that when the father went to Jesus, and he says, if you can do anything, verse 22, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to he who believes. And look to what the father answered. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Oh, Lord, I have faith. But help my unbelief. And you notice Jesus didn't rebuke him. Why? Because it's possible to have faith and unbelief at the same time. You can have faith and unbelief at the same time. So what is unbelief? Say, come on, Audrey, speed it up. What is unbelief? Just like faith is a positive force that can move and accomplish the impossible, unbelief is the opposite negative force that will undo, nullify, and reverse your faith. Let me show you what I mean. In the Greek, how many of you know that in Greek, the word faith is the word pistis, right? You know that? In the Greek, if you have a prefix, letter A, if you put a letter A, the prefix A in Greek, it shows a nullify, a negating of the action, a stopping, a nullifying of the action, and a reversing of the action. In English, for example, the prefix UN, right? To do something, to undo something. What does it mean? It's done, you are undoing. Or, for example, dressing, you dressing yourself, undressing. What does it mean? You were dressed, right? You had clothes on, you undo. You took them out. You undress yourself. Or tying your shoes. Does it mean you don't have any laces on your shoes? No. You have laces on your shoes, but to untie means it was tied and you undo it. So in Greek, the letter A, A before the word, means a nullifying and a uh, uh, um, negating and a reversing of the action. And the word unbelief is the word apistia. Apistia. What is it? Just like faith will produce a miracle, unbelief is the opposite negative force that will stop your faith and that will undo your faith. Amen. Amen. For example, let me show you something. Hebrew 3.12. Hebrew 3.12 says, Take heed, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from God. You see, you have faith, but unbelief will cause you to stop your faith and go back in reverse and depart from God. Here is another example. Roman chapter 4, 
verse 20 and 21. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Are you doing okay? We find out Abraham. He says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded of what a God had promised, he was also able to perform. Let me show you something. Fred, can you come here? Let's pretend that this pulpit here, there is a rope attached to this pulpit, and Fred is holding it. Mm-hmm. And there is another, another rope attached to this side of the pulpit, and I'm holding it. Let's pretend that faith for Fred is faith, mm-hmm. and I'm unbelief. You have faith, but you also have unbelief. And if Fred pulls on the pulpit, what will happen? The pulpit will move. But if there is faith, the negative opposite force on the other side, and we both pull, what will happen to the pulpit? It won't go anywhere. Or you would say the stronger of the two will win. It's a tug of war between your faith and your unbelief. Amen. And so most people, you see, when your faith is not working, what would people mostly say? You need more faith. You need more faith. You need more faith. And you think, but I have faith. You see, you don't need more faith. You need less unbelief. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8. Verse 22 through 26. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. It says that Jesus, he comes to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town, And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hand again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored. And he saw every man clearly. Now, as he sent him away to his house, Jesus said, neither go back into the town nor tell anybody in the town. Now, let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus, who is a busy man, right? Jesus, who is a busy man, why did he take the time to walk, I think it's one or two miles away from the city of Bethsaida to take the man by the hand and walk him out of the city? Why did Jesus take the time to do that? To decrease the unbelief that's surrounding the man. Why? Because the city of Bethsaida was full of unbelief. If you go with me, now you see, go, listen to this. In Luke 10, 13, in Luke 10, 13, and in Matthew eleven twenty one, Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that had been done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have long repented and covered themselves with ashes. What was Jesus saying? 
that Bethsaida and Chorazin were full of unbelief. So you see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, like our sister says, in order to be able to heal the man, we're talking about the Son of God. Did he have a faith problem? Did Jesus have a faith problem? No. Even Jesus, who had no faith problem, in order to heal that man, had to take him out by the hand out of Bethsaida because he was full of unbelief. Amen. Jesus Christ had, and why did he tell him, don't go back into the town? Don't talk to anybody. Because that man got healed, but for him to go back into that atmosphere of unbelief and talk to people who were full of unbelief would have given him the possibility of losing his healing. You see, I remember that, you know, when I, in 1999, when I was diagnosed with bone cancer, when the Holy Ghost told me what was going on in my body, the Holy Ghost immediately gave me some instruction. And you know one of the first things that he told me to do? He says, I don't want you to tell anybody about it, but only five people. There were only five people that the Holy Ghost showed me to share that with. My best friends and, and three other people who I knew were filled with faith. My family didn't know about it. Fred did, but that was the only one. My what? And I did not understand at the time. I just really did it, trusting the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But later on, with hindsight, I realized what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was protecting me from unbelief. Because you see what would have happened? People would have said, oh, Audrey, how are you doing today? Ah, we're praying for you. You see? And there were days where I was strong. But there were days where I, I didn't feel so strong and I would have been tempted to give in to that unbelief. And especially, let me say something, when people hear the word cancer, it strikes fear in people, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so we see here that uh, um, Jesus uh, was, was telling what in order to heal that man, he had to eliminate the unbelief around him. Amen. Hallelujah. And so if Jesus had to tell him, now don't go back there in that atmosphere of unbelief. Don't talk to anybody because unbelief is just going to spew out of their mouth. Protect, you know, he told the man to protect himself from unbelief. And Jesus himself had to build or to take him out of that atmosphere of unbelief in order to heal him. Amen. But Jesus pointed out a very interesting detail. In Matthew 17, 21. Matthew, let's go back to Matthew 17. Because we are looking into unbelief, what it is. Matthew 17 we see that when the disciples say, why couldn't we heal the guy? Why couldn't we cast the demon? Jesus says, because of your unbelief. And then look at verse 21, what he said. He said, however, this kind does not go out except with prayer and fasting. Now, you see, they have, I've heard some people, there are some different Bibles, they don't know what to do with that verse. Some Bibles decided to take it out of there. Amen. And I've heard all the people say that there are some kind of demons that are so powerful that you need to pray and fast. The name of Jesus is not enough. 
You need to pray, pray and fast to cast those demons. You know, my friend, that would be totally opposite to the teachings of Jesus. Mark 16 said, those who believe in my name will cast out demons. In Luke 10, 19, he says, I give you all authority over all the power of the devil. You see, he didn't say, oh, by the way, I give you all authority over all, but there is a few that are not going to work. <laughs> Jesus didn't say that, did he? The teachings of Jesus are consistent. He said, I give you all authority. All authority have been given to me on earth and in heavens, and I'm giving it all to you. Whatever you bind on earth, David, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in, on earth will be loosed in heaven. You have all authority. So what is Jesus talking about? When he says, but this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Could I su suggest something to you? If you look at the context of the verse, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about what it is that hindered them from casting out a demon. And so Jesus said, you couldn't cast the demon because of your unbelief, but this kind of what? This kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting. You know what that reveals to us? That there are more than one kind of unbelief. There are different kinds of unbelief. There are and here Jesus was talking about one of the kinds of unbelief that caused the disciples' faith not to work. Amen? Amen. So what, kind, what are the kinds of unbelief? Let's look at that. Jesus said this kind of unbelief will come out, but only by prayer and fasting. So let's look at it. What are the different types of unbelief? But first, let's look at that type of unbelief. What is it that Jesus was talking about? Let's go back to Matthew 17. In verse 15, let's, let me paint you a little picture, a scenario of what happened. Jesus, James, Peter, and John come down from the mountain, and there is commotion there, and, and there is the other nine disciples, right? Is it nine? Oh, yeah, nine. And, and, and they are with the Father and the Pharisees and different people, and they cannot cast the devil and heal the boy. And so Jesus comes and you know, finally cast a little demon out of the little boy. And then the father says, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. So what actually happened? What actually happened? The disciples were in front of that little boy who had a demon. And what happened? It was a demon of epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Has anybody seen somebody with a, an epileptic yeah. seizure? It's pretty impressing, isn't it? Yeah. Hear what happened. The disciples studied like they did in Luke chapter 9 before when they went two by two, cast the demon in Jesus' name, and all of a sudden what happened? The Bible actually tells us what happened in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9 verse 18 through 20, it says that immediately when the, the, the disciple commanded the spirit to go, that little boy fell to the ground started to foam at the mouth, started to become rigid. Maybe his eyes convulsed. Maybe he started to roll around in the ground and kick and scream and do all kind of manifestation. So right there, what happened? 
they saw, they commanded the spirit to go, but because of all those physical manifestation, they, they said, the de demon is not, didn't go out. Yeah. It didn't work. But it didn't work. He's not, he's not, he's not free. And, but because they were dominated by their five senses, mm -hmm. that's a kind of unbelief that will stop your face to work. Being dominated by your five senses, walking by sight yep. and not by faith. I remember what happened to me and how I learned that lesson when I was in India. I was doing a crusade and there were thousands of people and they brought to me a woman who was demon possessed who had been worshipping the snake. And when they brought her to me, I, I, I knew my authority in the name of Jesus. So I commanded the demon to go. And then I waited and looked and to see what happened. Nothing happened. She still was rolling on the ground. Her head was spinning. Her tongue was coming out of her mouth. She was making all kind of sound. So I, I looked at it and then I commanded the demon to go out. And then I looked and waited. Nothing happened. Still all those manifestations to roll, her uh, head roll, her tongue came out. And, and, and I got so frustrated. And the more I went, the more I commanded the demon to get out of her. In Jesus' name, get out. And then waited. Nothing happened. I tell you, in Jesus' name, get out. And I got frustrated. My voice got louder. My movement got a little more excited. Until I heard the Holy Ghost says, how many times are you going to cast the demon out of her? <laughs> and I thought, when I see her free. And immediately the Holy Ghost corrected me. He said, don't you know that one word in my name is enough? In the name of Jesus. And then immediately the Holy Ghost said, you are walking by sight. You are being dominated by what you see, not by what you know and believe. You see, at that moment, I made a correction. Where, where I took that lady and I said, now you understand I'm in business. And I understand. So I can commend you to get out of her right now. And you know what I did? I left her there and I went to the next people. I went to the next and the next and there were hundreds of people. By the time, but you know what was interesting? The whole time I'm praying for the other people, everything in me is wanting to go and pick and see what's happening over there. Because yeah. we are so dominated by what we see. Yeah. And you being dominated by our five senses is a kind of unbelief that has the, the, the potential to nullify your faith, to negate it and reverse it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And so we have to learn this lesson, not being dominated by our five senses, but by what we believe. And so what is the antidote? What is the antidote for that kind of unbelief? Jesus gives it to us. This kind of unbelief, or you could say it this way, this kind of demon who manifests himself in the, in the, the physical will come out when you get rid of this type of unbelief. And this kind comes out how? This kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting. What happened? Why do you pray and fast? Most people think that when they pray and fast, they're going to put pressure on God. That's what prayer and fasting, it won't do that. It will 
it, it will cause your flesh to be put down. It will, it, it will crucify your flesh and you'll become more sensitive in your spirit. Your spirit will become stronger, more sensitive, and your flesh will become weaker. And Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You see, prayer and fasting will get rid of that kind of unbelief which is being dominated by your five senses, what you feel, see, and, 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 and sensing. Amen. This kind will come out by praying. And so that's why I tell people, if you are too dominated by your five senses, spend some time to crucify your flesh. And let me say something. What you watch and listen to, what you watch on TV, what you listen to, here and here, will either feed your unbelief or it will starve your unbelief. You see, I like what Pastor Paul said or Bishop Paul said the last Sunday. He said, what you feed will grow, what you starve will die. You see, if you continually watch the news, if you feed on Channel 4 if you feed on the news and you feed on all the stuff that the world has to offer, guess what it's going to do? It's going to feed your unbelief. You see, you can look at a lot of major men and women of God that see a lot of power. It's not that they have more faith. They might have exercised their faith more, but most of them, if you look at it, it's they, they, don't, they, they, they get rid of the unbelief. You see a man like Smith Wigglesworth. Have you heard of him? I heard of, of a read of a story where they brought a woman to him who had a stomach cancer. She looked like a pregnant woman. And they brought her and she was so weak that two women had to hold her, you know. And then Smith, Smith Wigglesworth is standing in front of her and said, let her go. So the two women said, if we let her go, she's going to fall. He said, you know, he was kind of a little stern and bold, you know. He said, let her go. So they let her go. The woman went, Bam! fell flat on her stomach and went, ah! Oh, man, there was like a scream in the audience. So they picked her up. Uh, Smith Wigor says, let her go. She says, sir, we're not going to let her go. If we do, she's going to fall. He said, let her go. Well, that went on like that for three or four times. Finally, on the last, you know, when Smith Wigorsa said, let her go, people got so angry in the audience. said, you butcher, you crude man, let this poor woman alone. You know what, he was not moved. It's not that he didn't have more faith. He had less unbelief. He says, you mind your business, I know my business. And then he says, you let her go. And finally, they, they resisted, but they let the woman go. She fell from it. Before she hit the floor, she was totally healed. You see, what is the difference with Miss Wigglesworth? He had no unbelief. He would not allow the newspaper in his house. You know, and, and he, 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 he fed on the word. He fed on the word. So his faith was strong and his unbelief was, he had no unbelief. You know, and that's the reason we don't do it from a legalistic standpoint. Where you're like, you know, like the letter of the law. But we understand what I watch is either going to feed my faith or feed that unbelief and cause my faith not to work. So we, are, we need to get smart, don't we? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. So the first kind of unbelief 
we see is being dominated by your five senses. And so that's why we've got to preserve our heart, feed our faith, starve the unbelief. Amen? The second kind of unbelief is fear, worry, cares. In Mark chapter 5.36, many people will tell you that, you know, if you have fear, means you don't have any faith. And if you have faith, you don't have any fear. That is not true. You can have faith and fear at the same time. Don't look at me so strange. You remember? Go with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 36. You remember when the centurion went to Jesus because his little daughter was almost dead? And then he got rudely interrupted by a woman who had an issue of blood. And then finally, a, a servants came and said, don't bother the master, your daughter is dead. What did Jesus say? He turned directly to the man. He says, do not be afraid or do not fear. Only believe. You know what that means? You can have faith and fear at the same time. Mm -hmm. But which one is going to be the stronger is the one that whatever is going to dominate. Amen. And so we find that it's possible to have faith and fear at the same time. So if you've got that unbelief or fear, you don't automatically need more faith. You need to get rid of the fear. You need to get rid of that kind of unbelief. Look in Mark 5. In Mark 5, that type of um, the, the, the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 5. Verse 35 through 42. You remember? Uh, that's not the parable of the sower story. It's another story. It's, it's that little girl that was dead. You remember Jesus went, and what did Jesus do? He went, he got rid of every, he kicked everybody out of the room. Right. And, he's, and he only took Peter, James, and John. Apparently, those three had a little less unbelief than the rest. He only took them three in the room and the parents, and he kicked everybody out of the room. Why? Because when fear, when death comes, fear tries to kick in. And in order for Jesus to raise that little girl from the dead, he had to limit and get rid of that unbelief and get rid of that atmosphere of unbelief, that fear. Amen. That's why he did what he did. Sometimes we wonder, why did Jesus, why does he do certain things? He just tried to confuse us or what? No, he did what he did because he knew that if he let people that one minute were crying and the next minute were mocking him and ridiculing him, apparently those people were full of unbelief. Amen. He had to get rid of that unbelief in order to be able to raise that little girl from the dead. Hallelujah. And we see in Mark 4. In Mark chapter 4, verse 19. Say, when the cares of this world, or you could say the fear, cares is fear, right? Worry. When the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire of other things, entering in, choke, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Let me ask you this. What does the word of God produce in your life? Faith. So if the cares of this world choke the word, what will it do? 
it will choke your faith because the word produces faith. Amen. So here it says, when the cares, when you allow the cares of the world or you allow that fear, it will choke the word that will choke your faith. The, the fear is a form of unbelief that will stop your faith, nullify it and reverse it. Amen. That's what happened to Peter. You remember? When Peter saw Jesus walk on water, amen, and he said, Jesus, if it, if it is you, bid me to come. Jesus says, come. And Peter, did he have faith? Yeah. He did, didn't he? Yeah. He started to walk on the water, so he had faith. But what happened all of a sudden? He started to look around, and what happened? Fear came into his heart. And what happened? That fear stopped his faith from working. He started to sink. You see, Peter had faith. So what do you, what do you need to do? You need to get rid of the, of the fear. So what is the antidote for fear? It's meditating on the faithfulness of God. Meditating on what is the faithfulness of God. Remembering what God did for you. You remember when God healed Fred, your body? Do you remember when he paid your bills? Do you remember when he did a miracle in your life? Fred, do you, Fred and Fred. You remember when he, the things that did God, when you start, you know, when you're in a situation where you have faith and you believe that this is the will of God, but you cannot see anything, and all of a sudden fear try to come and paralyze your faith, what do you do? You get your eyes off of that and you start meditating and thinking of what God did. Because if God did it, he wants, he's going to do it again. And the more you meditate on the faithfulness of God, what he did in your life and in the life of others, what will happen? It will get rid of that kind of unbelief. It will get rid of that fear. Look at, this is what Sarah did. Look at what Sarah did. In Hebrew, Hebrew 11, 11, he says, through faith, also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And she was delivered out of a child. She delivered a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. You see, she got rid of fear and she strengthened her faith because she, she studied to meditate and think about what God did for her in the past. You remember when God delivered us out of the Pharaoh's hand. I remember when I should have been in his harem, but how God intervened. And I remember how we left our, our, our hometown and God provided. And I remembered this. And I remember. And the more she meditated on what God did and his faithfulness, and the more she got rid of the fear, and the more her faith then started to work. Amen. She received strength. Another type of unbelief is offense. Offense is another type of unbelief. Remember what unbelief is. Unbelief is a negative force that is sent against your faith to stop it, to nullify it, to reverse it. Amen. Offense is a type of unbelief. It has the potential to stop your faith, to nullify it, and to reverse it. In Mark 4.17, Mark 4, 17, it says, They have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, 
when tribulation or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And what happened? The word or stopped working or their faith stopped working. That's the reason why in Mark eleven twenty five. You remember when Jesus, we, we love that passage, when he taught them about faith. Mark 20, verse 23 says, whoever speaks to the mountain, command it to be removed, cast into the sea, has no doubt in his heart, but believe that whatever he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24, and when you pray, you must believe that you received it and you shall have it. And then what is verse 24? And when you pray, if you have ought against anyone, forgive. Why? Because the Bible says in Galatians that faith works by love. And my friend, if faith works by love, then faith stops working by, because of offense and unforgiveness. Amen. I remember... Um, I was in Colombia doing a, 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 some ministry and there was a woman there who was sitting, she was a visitor, never been there before. And that night I preached a message that was called Don't Act Like a Monkey. It was really about offense and, and, and about forgiveness. And, and so I, I, that woman and I thought about how when we hold on to offense, it stops your faith. And if, you've, if you have anything against anyone, it's impossible. Your heart will condemn you and it's impossible to receive what God has given to you. And so I was teaching there that night and without anybody, that woman had had arthritis for 20 some years. All of her body was shriveling and she walked like this in the church. She was in pain from head to toe. And she heard this message about forgiveness and about letting go of the offense without anybody saying anything to her or praying for her or laying hands on her. She just made a choice alone on, you know, sitting in her seat just to, to forgive her husband who had left her with three kids to go with another woman years, 20 some years before. And she had held on to that bitterness for 20 some years. And she had developed that arthritis. And with that nobody praying for her right there sitting, she chose to forgive. And she said that all of a sudden she felt the warmth, the power of God just come over her. And with all of a sudden she realized she was totally healed. And then she came forward and got filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, it is not that God had his hands and arms folded saying, I'm not going to give to you until you forgive. It's not that. It's simply that 1 John 3, 21 says that if your heart condemns you, yeah. it's impossible to receive. Yeah. You cannot receive what God has already given. But you see, love works by love. Oh no, faith works by love. <laughs> And if you hold on to that bitterness and unforgiveness, your faith will stop working because that type of unbelief we, we will cause your faith to, to stop. Yeah, no. So what is the antidote? Not that hard, is it? Forgiveness. Just like that woman, get rid of that, that offense. Get rid of that type of unbelief that will stop your faith from working. Amen. And then finally, and that's a big, big one, 
The wrong teaching and false doctrines is a type of unbelief that has the potential to stop your faith. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, in Mark chapter 7, verse 9 through 9, 7 through 9, Mark 7, verse 7 through 9, he says, you have rejected the commandment of God that you may hold on to your traditions. Tradition which you pass from generation to generation. And in verse 13, he says, and you have made the word of God of no effect because of those traditions. What is it saying? False traditions, wrong teaching, and, and oftentimes they come from people taking scriptures, taking them out of context, or wrongly dividing and interpreting them, and they've built a doctrine around it. And those false teaching, those wrong doctrines have the potential to stop your faith from working. I remember I was in India and, and there was, I was teaching a whole 20 some hours on divine healing. And when I have so much time to teach on healing, I go and expose all the false teaching and the wrong doctrines. And there was a guy that had been sick for I don't know how many years. But he kept, you know, he, 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 he kept on thinking, God, I must be like Paul. You must just give me a thorn in the flesh and I have to endure. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul says, because of the ex excellence of revelation, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan has been given to me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so people have taught that God, so that Paul won't be proud. God has allowed a sickness on Paul to keep him humble. And you know, that man had bought into that lie that God was allowing sickness in his life to keep him humble. And he could never get healed. He was carrying that sickness for years and years. And in the class, when he heard, and I, did, I gave a, 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 an expose, a, a line upon line interpretation of that teaching, that man without anybody praying for him, without anybody saying, he just got healed right there sitting in his life. Just because you removed that false teaching that was hindering him from getting healed. And they are quite, you see, the devil, most of the time, you know, he doesn't deny certain truth in the Bible. No, what does he do? He pollute them. And so those wrong teachings and those false doctrines have the potential to stop your faith from working. So in order for your faith to work, you've got to change the way you think. You know, that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 13. Let's look at it really quick. And then we'll close. In Matthew 13. Verse 14 and 15. And it says, And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn, so that I should heal them. You see, 
what is it? It's happening. Oftentimes people have wrong thinking in their mind and God wants to heal them but can't. So once their mind is being, uh, they, they change the way they think, when, once they can see and hear the truth and change the way they think, then God can heal them. Hallelujah. Or God can bless them. Or God can, and sometimes it's a little adjustment in the way we think. Amen? So you see, you don't automatically need a huge ton of faith. Most of the time today, we just need to get rid of the unbelief. So that, because that's what Jesus says. You see, if you have faith as a mustard seed without unbelief, if you have faith as a mustard seed without unbelief, it will accomplish the impossible. But soon you have faith, when the unbelief comes, it stops it, nullifies it, and reverses it. And, it and you don't understand why is it not working. Get, look and find out the type of unbelief and then go and get rid of it and see your faith starting to, to produce result. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank For more information on GoTel Ministry, our teaching, our itinerary, and to discover the many testimonies of those who have been touched and healed by the power of God, you may visit our website at www.gotelministry.org. And remember that Jesus came to give you life and life in abundance.